All right. Great to be back. We had a great time away, and I just want to thank everybody that did such an awesome job, all the Sunday morning teams, uh, Lou, Paul, Scott for preaching. I think that they just did an awesome job this last month. I want to say thank you to them. We had a good time. This is the first time since we launched the journey that uh, Vit and I have taken some extended time. We definitely took a couple of road trips during our time off. And the older you get when you're doing road trips, the more you appreciate the rest stops. (laughs) And it happens that today we're going to use that part of the metaphor of our whole meta metaphor the road trip, to talk about the importance of pausing in our life. You know, even in our spiritual journey, there are some things that God can only accomplish in us when we're at rest. John Ortberg wrote some interesting things about 10 years ago on hurriedness. I just want to read a bit of it to prompt our thinking today. A Tacoma, Washington newspaper carried the story of Tattoo, the Basset Hound, a while back. Tattoo didn't intend to go for an evening run, but when his owner shut the dog's leash in the car door and took off for a drive with Tattoo outside the vehicle, he had no choice. Motorcycle officer Terry Filbert noticed the passing vehicle with something dragging behind it. He said, the Basset Hound was picking them up and putting them down just as fast as he could. He chased the car to a stop, and Tattoo was rescued, but not before the dog had reached a speed of 20 to 25 miles per hour. The article ends by saying, it has been some time since Tattoo was asked to go out for a walk. (laughs) Too many of us end up living like Tattoo, our days marked by picking them up and putting them down as fast as we can. It's time to learn another way to live. To do that, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. As much as we complain about it, there's part of us that is drawn to a hurried life. It makes us feel important. It keeps the adrenaline pumping. It means I don't have to look too closely at my heart or my life. It keeps us from feeling our loneliness. As long as I have meetings to attend and occasions to go to, I can demonstrate that I am an important person. The press of busyness is like a charm, Kierkegaard wrote. Its power swells. It reaches out, seeking always to lay hold of ever younger victims so that childhood and youth even are scarcely allowed the quiet and the retirement in which the eternal may unfold a divine growth. Hurry, then, is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered life. And I was preparing to talk about this. I was thinking back to uh, my childhood and Sundays, which we treated as Sabbath back then. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember the blue laws. Generation X, Y, and Z have not grown up with any experience of the blue laws. That came essentially from the Puritans in Massachusetts who sought to legislate Sunday as the Sabbath. And stores were always closed. Very few things were allowed to be open. Convenience stores, restaurants, and the like. And I remember in the late 60s, early 70s, gradually more and more stores were allowed to be open. And today, Sunday's like pretty much any other day. But back then, I just remember the significance of that day wore a suit all day. 
It was a day for worship. It was a day for family. I think I've told you about the first time my mom let me wear blue jeans on on Sabbath, and I felt like I was doing something really dark. Today I'm preaching in blue jeans. (laughs) I'm sure that we went overboard. It became very legalistic. And we're going to look at the time of Sabbath in Jesus' day and find that it also had become a very legalistic thing. Sabbath was something that Scripture says God blessed us with. He blessed the Sabbath. Sabbath, as we're going to see, is part of God's plan for us. The pause, meaningful, purposeful rest, is part of God's plan for us. And it's meant to be a blessing. I didn't exactly think of Sundays as much of a blessing, especially once I reached high school. Couldn't wait for Monday. But now that I'm older, I have to admit, there's a lot of it I miss. Taking the day, setting it apart in some way. I miss that in my own life. Even as Christians, we have completely gone to the other extreme where every day except the hour or two that we give to our Sunday morning worship together is pretty much like everything else. In the 1960s, a bunch of scientists made a report to Congress that predicted we were gonna reach a crisis over the next several decades because technology would get to the point where people just wouldn't have enough to do. Instead, that same technology has played into our brokenness so that we're busier than ever. We have higher expectations of ourselves because our tools are better, and our drivenness and our brokenness drives us to the point where we have seven-day workdays, when we are constantly in a hurry. We used to measure our value based on family, based on our faith based on who I am as a person, based on my community. Today, we measure our value based on what I accomplish, what I accumulate, and what I consume. And we believe busyness shows importance. And I think if there's one phrase I want you to get today, it's this phrase, God does not want you to be busy. There's nothing in the Bible that says go thou and get busy. God's goal for you is not busyness. It's fruitfulness. And busyness gets in the way of it. What we have today is a pattern in our culture that goes between exhausting effort and then collapse and comatose. (laughs) So it's work and recover, work and recover. God's pattern for us was very different. God's pattern for us was meaningful labor in conjunction with purposeful rest. And it's time for us to recover that as his people. And if we can't recover it, then we will never really reflect what godliness is. Let me try to flesh that out for you by taking you through a bit of a journey about Sabbath in the Old Testament. The first place we see Sabbath spoken of is Genesis chapter 2, the creation account. So let's take our Bibles out and let's look at Genesis chapter 2. We've been here a a couple times over the last few years in our study through Genesis and then also in our big life series. So I won't take a lot of time with it. I just want to look at verses 2 and 3 with you. By the seventh day, 
God had finished all the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his labor. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of his creation. There's two words there I just want to draw out. The first is the word rested. He ceased from his labor. The Hebrew word is, listen, Shabbat. Does that sound familiar? It's the original word from which the formal word Sabbath comes from. God rested. Think about this. The God that we worship, the God who created us to live and reflect his life and to live for his glory, created in his image, that God lives in a pattern of meaningful, purposeful work and meaningful rest. And so in some ways, if we are not learning to follow that, then something is radically missing in our relationship with him and what it means to be children living the life that he called us to. The second word is the word work. That word in Hebrew is used throughout Scripture. And let me just give you some of the translations that are used for that Hebrew word. Business, craftsmanship, details, duties, occupation, performance, cattle. That's an interesting one. Also, labor, and here's two other ways the word's used, anything or everything. (laughs) So when it says God ceased, he ceased. He ceased from anything and everything. And then the writer says he blessed that day and made it holy. Now, let's go forward to Exodus chapter 20. Thousands of years later, the children of Israel have been liberated from Egypt, the God of their forefathers. He's delivered them, he's led them, he's provided for them. Now he's brought them to Mount Sinai where the phrasing that he uses is now not, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's in this section of Exodus that he begins with, I am the Lord, your God. He's making a personal connection. And as part of that experience, he gives the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. We're just going to focus on the fourth, and um, I'm going to begin reading at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy to the Lord. I want to just focus on three parts of that verse that are up there. The first is the word remember. Why why would God say to them, remember the Sabbath? Not just say, I want you to keep it. Could it be that our brokenness so drives us to find our value in what we accomplish and all that we're doing that it really is, and he knew that it would forever be our tendency to forget the importance 
of meaningful pause, meaningful rest. I think that's true. Would you say that's true? Would you say that as a culture, would you say we even measure our churches based on our busyness and how much we're getting done? God knew that this would be a fight we'd have forever. Who was it that said, uh, hurry isn't of the devil, hurry is the devil? Remember it, because it's so easy to forget. Have you forgotten it? Now, of course, you're saying, well, Tom, I'm not sure the Sabbath is for the New Testament. Aren't you kind of like going way back here? Okay, but have you forgotten the sacredness of pausing? Last week, Paul challenged us about slowing down. I bet you some of you had a hard time with that. This week, I'm talking about stopping. (laughs) Stop what? Everything. Stop it. Because there's some things God can only do in you when you're at rest. You're incomplete as his child if you don't learn this, this discipline. So remember it. The second word that we're going to look at here is the, the phrase or the word keep it holy. What does the word holy mean? Yeah, we think of the word holy as pure or sinless. But what it really means is set apart, dedicated to. And remember what Genesis said. God's the one that set it apart. God made it holy. Our job is to keep it holy. That's very interesting. That's very, very interesting. In this passage, it says the same thing. It reminds us that God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy at the end of the passage. And at the beginning, it says we need to keep it. Holy. You know what that means? We're stewards of Sabbath. God made it. Our job is to keep it, to preserve it, to practice it. Keep it holy. We just can't imagine the thought of pausing. But Moses reminds us here that if God could create the whole world in six days and have time left over, Is there anything that's on your to-do list that you're so arrogant about that can't get done or left for a while that you can pause and have meaningful Sabbath? Whatever that looks like for us today, which we'll get to in a few moments. Set it apart. And then the third phrase is set it apart to the Lord. It's God's. See, you have to understand, as we learned in our Big Life series, all of your time is God's. But God's saying, I want some of it exclusively. Set it apart for me. How are you doing with that? Now, does the idea of Sabbath work in the New Testament? I mean, isn't that something we've passed Because the early church began worshiping on the first day of the week, we've sort of called that Sabbath. But really, is the legalistic idea of one full day out of seven really still in the New Testament? Well, legalistically, no. But principally, the cadence of meaningful work and purposeful rest are for all of us at all times. Remember, Genesis 2 God's pattern for the Sabbath predates the nation of Israel, predates the Levitical law. So in terms of the Levitical law, no, we're no longer bound by that. But 
Sabbath was started at creation. So in that sense, we have an eternal imperative to somehow find this cadence in our life. Now, what about the Sabbath and Jesus? I'm gonna quote four verses just quickly here. We're calling this little game, Where Is It in the Bible? So all you Bible scholars, put your spiritual thinking caps on. Four verses, and at least if you could figure out maybe what book it's in, that would be helpful. Are you ready? Okay, first verse. Jesus ran. You know where that is? Second verse. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and in the ability to multitask. How many of you know where that is in the Bible? Okay. You doing good? Okay, just two more. The rich young ruler came to him, and Jesus told him to make an appointment. And then four. Because of this, many in the crowd began calling him the rapid rabbi. So how many got all four right? Yeah, they're nowhere in the Bible. In fact, Jesus lived in the exact cadence we're talking about, meaningful work, in his case, ministry, and then purposeful rest. Don't you see that in the Gospels? He'd work, and then he'd go away, and then he'd come back, and he'd work. So if you're a follower of Jesus, and you're not living in that cadence, I'm not sure who you're following. I want to take you just to one passage uh, related to Christ and the Sabbath. It's Mark chapter 2. Turn there with me. Mark chapter 2. Let's begin at verse 23. One Sabbath, so it was on Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now let's talk about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the self-imposed keepers of the Sabbath in Jesus' day. They had created a whole set of rules that had nothing to do with the Mosaic law. They referred to it as a hedge around the law of God, their own laws, and they had legalistically imposed them on themselves and stood in judgment of everyone else. So when the Pharisees speak up, And let's be clear here, they're accusing Jesus through his followers of breaking the Sabbath. Think about that. Did Jesus break the Sabbath? Well, their idea of it, yeah, he did. But let's watch how he responds because it's brilliant, and and that's because he's Jesus, by the way. Verse 25, he answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. This is a very interesting reference because it's not specifically about Sabbath, but it is about the law. David, during that period when he was an outlaw in Saul's kingdom, And his men were hungry. They actually went into the tabernacle and he ate that bread and he gave it to his men. What's Jesus' point here? Jesus is saying that God's perspective of the law was different than man's perspective. Man's perspective is if I obey the law, I'm righteous. So if I break the law, I'm unrighteous. No, we're already unrighteous. The law just helps us see that. The law is a tool to help us all understand our need 
for redemption that we are already unrighteous. You don't become unrighteous because you break the Ten Commandments. David and his men didn't become unrighteous because rather than following the prescribed law, they stepped in and he fed his men. In fact, there's no indication that God had any trouble with it at all. Why? Because the law was not a means by which anyone was found righteous. The Pharisees got that all screwed up. And that's why he goes on and says this, verse 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. There's two statements here that are worth taking a moment with. The first is pretty profound. The Sabbath was made for man. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Whether you were the Puritans or we Baptists in the 1950s or the Pharisees in the time of Christ, whenever we turn any tradition into a legalistic requirement and then force people to serve it as though the traditions were what was most important, God's saying the Sabbath isn't what's most important. People are what's most important. We don't sacrifice people in order to practice your version or your laws or your traditions. People weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made. It was a gift. It was blessed. It was made for man. Say, this pause is not meant to be something that burdens us, that restricts us, that, that brings judgment upon us. It's meant to give life. It's meant to leave us blessed. Think about that. In Scripture, the word blessed encompasses really the whole of what our life in Christ, our relationship to God is meant to be, the fullness of all those things. That's what this pause, this rest is for you. It's God's gift to you. It's for you. You're not for it. And then he says this. This is pretty profound. So the Son of Man himself is Lord of the Sabbath. When Jesus refers to the Son of Man, who's he talking about? Himself is one of the terms for himself. So make no mistake, Jesus is saying, I am right now in this moment, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. And he's saying to the Pharisees, it has nothing to do with your law. In fact, it's got nothing to do with Moses' law because the Sabbath is bigger than all of that. It's about life. And because I'm God, I'm the Word made flesh, I'm Lord of it. So, yeah, did Jesus practice the Sabbath? Did the Sabbath matter to Jesus? Absolutely. Jesus reclaimed it for what it was always meant to be. Sabbath was made for man. Why? Why does God give us the Sabbath? Let me just list three reasons that came to my mind as I was preparing for this today. Sabbath helps us refocus on our life with God, not the one we're building for ourselves. Sabbath helps us focus on our life with God, not the one we're building for ourselves. If you have built a life, and trust me, your busyness is no one's doing but your own. You can claim your boss, you can blame your kids, you can blame your professors. You didn't do anything ultimately you didn't choose to do. You didn't commit to anything ultimately that wasn't your choice. You always have a choice. And if you have created your life with such urgency and such busyness, that you can't imagine pausing and giving God that time 
You know what you're essentially saying? I am trusting myself and the life I'm building more than I am trusting God. Second, Sabbath helps us focus on being, not doing. Your worth is not found in what you do. It's not. God's priority is who you are becoming as his child. It's your recreation that he's after, not your recreation. Sabbath reminds us of that. This is where my value is. Abba's child. And the third thing that came to my mind is that Sabbath helps realign our hearts and because of that our whole life to God's purposes. You know that that forest for the trees thing? You know, you can't see the forest for the trees. You're so in the mix. I'll tell you one of the blessings of being off for the time that I was. These last um, four years, my work with the journey precedes when we actually launched it. Good half of a year went into that stage. And since we actually launched the church, I've been both serving as pastor, teacher, shepherd, caregiver, as best as I'm personally able, even though I'm not meant to do it all. Of course, that's a major part of a pastor's job. That's the part you would think of. But also, under all that was constant building, bylaws, incorporation, lots of writing, lots of research. It's been like having... Uh, really two different full-time jobs. And so when I was heading off on vacation, um, I was really scared a few Sundays because I was so mentally tired, I was afraid I was going to say something really stupid, you know, like instead of angels falling prostrate before God, I'd say like prostate, you know, something like that. Those kind of things happen when you're tired, just really mentally exhausted and lost in the list. And then uh, stepping back from it, just not thinking about anything. And I got to tell you, I didn't. I thought about you, you know, once. <laughs> Missed you. But as far as the job, I knew good people were in place. I knew we were ready for this. And so I really did let go. And what happened was when I started gearing up again, a couple of things just floated up to the surface that I believe God gave me for us right now for the next step as a church. That if I hadn't stepped back and taken that pause, I might have missed. Because I was so into all the stuff. A a realignment of things that occurs. I think that's really important. Let me just talk about what does it mean for us to Sabbath today? How do you Sabbath today? Let me first motivate us by reading this little poem called Psalm 23, Antithesis. The clock is my dictator, I shall not rest. It makes me lie down only when exhausted. It leads me into deep depression. It hounds my soul. It leads me in circles of frenzy for activity's sake. Even though I run frantically from task to task, I will never get it all done, for my ideal is with me. Deadlines and my need for approval, they drive me. They demand performance from me beyond the limits of my schedule. They anoint my head with migraines. My inbox overflows. Surely fatigue and time pressures shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the bonds of frustration forever. Some of us may be following that psalm a lot more than this psalm, Psalm 46. 
Let's say it together. Be still and know that I am God. That word be still is the Hebrew word sholadso, and it simply means cease striving. Take a break. Sometimes we miss the importance of the little words. Little word up there translated end is the Hebrew word kai. And it's cumulative. And what that means is that it builds from the preceding part of the verse. It's a Hebrew equivalent to our if-then statements. You could easily translate this as if you are still, then you will know God. So what this is suggesting is that learning to be still is a requirement for knowing God. You know what that means? It means there's a whole bunch of you that think you're doing reasonably well with your journey with God. And you're busy. And what that means is that you may only know a fraction of the God who wants you to know him intimately because you can't stop. Just stop. And if you can't, your knowledge of God will always fall short. What a shame. What a shame that our schedules drive us to ignorance of the one who created us to know him intimately, to walk with him, to find our deepest fulfillment in knowing him and out of that ever-deepening knowledge, worshiping him passionately. We're missing it because we're working ourselves to death or we're playing ourselves to death. That's also work. Learning to pause, be still and know that I am God. So what would it look like for Sabbath for us today? I, I don't believe we're bound by setting apart a, a certain day. I don't think that the way it got regulated at some point is, is meant for us today. I'm not suggesting a return of the blue laws. What I am suggesting is that as God's children, we need to relentlessly, as Ortberg says, we need to relentlessly remove hurry from our lives. And we need to find again that sacred cadence of creative and meaningful work and purposeful pause. Whether that means setting apart a specific moment of every week or just a specific time of every day, it needs to find its way into your life. And the more of it you find, the more of God you will find. And I want to suggest three practices that are part of that stopping. And the three practices, since we're being alliterative around the word Sabbath, are stopping, solitude, and scripture. In Mark chapter 6, there's a scene where Jesus has sent his disciples out. And they've come back and they're reporting all that's happening. And in their coming back, there's this buzz around. So many people are coming and going that it's a distraction. It's just like this very busy, kinetic, hurried, high-pressure moment. How does Jesus respond to it? Mark 6, 31. Say it with me. Come away with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I want you to think of those words as Jesus' invitation to you into Sabbath. Come away with me by yourself. 
and get some rest. What an incredible invitation that the God of all creation wants that time with us, is willing to bring a blessing into our life that we can't possibly gain without it. And within that very verse are these three ideas. There's the stopping, pull back from it, come away, get some rest, pause from your labor, right? There's solitude, come away by yourselves. But then for us, it becomes scripture because scripture is the very living word of God. When Jesus says, with me, remember who he was. He was the word made flesh. And today we have the living word of God, which is Jesus' words to you. So it's not really just about going away with Jesus and having some mystical conversation with him. He's got plenty he wants to say and bless us with. It's all, all right here. And I'll bet you the reason why most of you aren't in it during the week is because you're not stopping. Stopping lets the living word of God become incarnated into our life. I want to invite you to rediscover that meaningful, purposeful rest in your life. Is it countercultural? <laughs> you bet. Might it cost you something? Yeah, it might. Maybe it's time for some of us to start saying to our kids, you know, we're going to do one less sport this year. Maybe one less activity, because you need to learn to stop and be with God too. Maybe it's time to say to our bosses, just not going to come in on Sunday. Yeah, you know, it's my faith that's calling me to do that. Might take a little courage from some of us because we've allowed our culture to run our clock. And as a result, the whole Christian community is not demonstrating to the world in any way what life in Christ is meant to be because we are not at rest. And the only way we can recover it is to just start doing it. And is it worth it? <laughs> Every bit. Jesus says to you, come away with me. Let's pray. Just sit quietly and compare the ideas that I've shared with you today as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. Compare the ideas and the idea of a blessed pause where God meets you and blesses you and realigns and restores you. Consider that and compare it with just this last week alone. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you and ask what changes need to be made. Father, I know that there's something in all of us that longs and hungers for this. And then there's the reality of going home and making the choices, being caught up in all that uh, our life, such as it is, requires of us. It's where the rubber meets the road. And I pray somehow, Father, you'll have so caught us with what's missing, not only in our lives, but in our relationship with you, when we don't find this beautiful cadence for which we were created to meaningfully work for your glory and then purposefully rest in your grace and goodness. Father, help us, help us as the journey people to model that to the world and to invite and to call each other into 
the invitation of Jesus, come away. Come away with me and rest. In Jesus' name, amen.